the businesses tuned in here to AI and industry, the topics that we cover are more than food for thought. Uh, the companies who listen in either do currently or are plan on building out a data science and machine learning teams within their company, solving important problems with data science talent in their company, be they in marketing, customer service, etc. Uh, we explicitly aim to provide value for that business crowd uh, and shed light on where AI is actually making a difference in business today and what its implications and applications will be in the future. For that reason, there are a few things more important for companies interested in integrating artificial intelligence and sort of growing up with this technology as it comes about than building a robust data science and machine learning team, actually using that team to solve fruitful business problems and driving value for the company, and retaining those people so they don't get scooped off to Google and Facebook. We speak this week with Dr. Raj Bandugla, who is a PhD and also the principal data scientist at Equifax. He heads up sort of an innovation lab there with data science and machine learning. And he speaks with us about some of the challenges that enterprises often have in building a proper machine learning and AI team. And with working with that team, being able to fruitfully have people in other business departments pass along the right problems or make sense of the solutions that these AI teams come up with. As it turns out, some of these issues of kind of the stodginess in existing businesses of being able to function with a machine learning team, to be able to talk the lingo and make sense of some of these terms and understand some of the problems is also a big retention issue. When data science and machine learning folks don't feel like they can really flex their muscles and drive value and have problems that matter for the business, not only does the business not win, but they're much less likely to stick around, assuming they can get scooped off somewhere else where their skills could fruitfully be leveraged. So for companies who want to retain good people in this space and solve important problems, it's important to move beyond some of the structural challenges of building and maintaining a machine learning team inside of an enterprise. And that's exactly what we dive into with this interview. So without further ado, this is Raj with Equifax here on AI and Industry. Raj, the first thing I wanted to be able to dive into here at Equifax, you guys are in one of sort of the original big data fields, and you're getting to see sort of the makeup of a data science team change. What Equifax was doing 25 years ago was drastically ahead of what most people were doing with data science. But now, clearly, you've had to keep up with the times and bring in machine learning and sort of integrate these newer technologies. How has the makeup of what a quote-unquote data science team changed in the last you know 10 years or so? Perfect. So thank you, Dan. This is a very important question. And this has been a question on minds of many, many people, both people who are trying to enter this field and also the businesses that are trying to build new data science teams. So first of all, let's see how the requirements of a business have changed. So first of all, in the past, most of analysis was most of the analysis was done like in the generation of, uh, say, decision support systems. You look at the data that already was completed. And you asked what happened. So right now, the expectation is that we need to understand what will happen. So that's what essentially what we call predictive analytics. Interestingly, now we are asking a different question and we are saying we are predicting alternative futures and pick the one that's best for us. So essentially what that is answering, what should I do? So for this to happen, so we cannot uh, simply ask different questions using the same data. In other words, the same limited amount of data. But as you know, as the data collection has become easy and the internet speeds have gone up, we have different, different devices. So what happened is the kinds of data that we have has increased a lot. 
For example, in an e-commerce setting, we can look at your past shopping behaviors. We can look at your how long have you spent before actually making a purchase or what have you browsed before and what kind of comparisons have you made. So essentially, we can look at the log of your entire activity and also what kind of like when are you what kind are you loyal to a particular brand we can use different kinds of information and depending on that one we can come up with better decisions for you but for that to happen we should be able to extract information from variety of different sources so here we're talking about your log data as in your browse data which is not structured at all Right? And sometimes we are also expected to, for example, you call in for a customer service and you're very angry. The kind of response that you are expecting is different from a person who's just calling to check in the store hours or something like that, who's just calling to check for a product availability. So the question is, can the customer service agent be empowered with the right information at the right time simply by analyzing your voice? So here, the kind of technology that's needed to help the customer service provider customer service agent is different like because like we take the voice that is coming up extract features out of it so the technology that is needed to extract features is completely different from our traditional rdbms where like we have like perfect rows and columns where everything is clearly understood that is the first difference so the nature of the incoming data is become much more broader right now. Yep. And we need to have ability to different skill sets to extract information out of this variety of different data sets. Got it. So just to put a cap on this and try to conceptualize it for the audience, you know, back in the day, as we could call it at Equifax or even other companies probably, our data comes in in the nice rows that we need it in and we know how to make sense of it. And to be able to leverage that sort of information for Equifax back in the day, back in the old days, it was probably came in as paper and somebody had to enter it. That's those are really old days. But you know, it, it would come in and with whatever maybe purchase histories or whatever things you folks were looking at, you know, back in the day. And it would be organized and orchestrated in a way where everybody knows how to make sense of it. Now, you know, how do we look at a, a browser log? How do we look at certain companies that have to look at image data or yes. whatever else? It's like yes. this isn't you know, a number that we know represents yes. dollars yes. and another field that represents a company's name. This is crazy information that doesn't fit. So extracting features that we can make conceptual sense of from that information is a whole new skill set and the evolution of existing data science teams you see moving towards more folks who can do that because we yes. have to pull in more. Okay. So that's one kind of skill set that's needed. The number two is the volumes itself. So before in the past, like when RDBMS has, like there used to be like in a couple of millions of rows, but now like, for example, even Equifax alone, like we have like data on pretty much the entire population. So the amount of data that we have to handle is very, very, very high. So you can no longer deal with this data using one computer or traditional data manipulation tools like SQL. So we need to have a whole new set of tools. For example, like how do you manipulate a couple of terabytes of data, hundreds of terabytes of data? So we need skill sets like Hive and Spark. So your typical SQL will no longer work. So there is a whole new set of skills that are necessary to handle the volume of data itself. Got it. Okay. So yeah, and... and from what I've gathered, Spark and Hadoop have sort of made their way into enterprise in many respects. I imagine at a company like Equifax, you guys probably adopted before others did because your business is predicated on this. So how do we categorize that kind of skill, the Spark and Hadoop folks? What do we what do we sort of call those? People that, that who are capable of doing distributed computing, handling distributed storage, 
write distributed computing algorithms. So we would call them big data engineers. Got it. Okay. Yep. So that, that's the second new requirement that has popped up. The third one is the velocity as well. Right? So for example, it's raining outside and everybody needs salt. So it's a new event. As the events are unfolding, or for example, there is a hurricane Arma, and as the events are unfolding in the field, we need some kind of intelligence. So in other words, we should be able to capture, make sense out of events that are actually happening right now. So it's called streaming, right? So there's a whole new category of problems that can be addressed because if we know how to handle streaming properly. So again, same thing, we need big data engineers that knows how to process streaming data. So that's another category of skill set that's also needed. Yeah. And I, I take it not every big data engineer who works with Spark and Hadoop also knows how to make sense of and draw sort of streaming information, whether it be weather or yes. whether it be whatever else. So that's kind of its own skill set. And then yes. that's more and more in demand. Yes. So, okay, got it. So folks, I imagine that's actually probably such a new skill set. There's probably, I mean, I imagine computer science departments cover that, but that seems like work experience. You would need need experience in the field doing that because I I can't imagine that there's that many classrooms that cover that base well enough. Actually, this is very fascinating question. So a couple of things happened. So these kind of systems that like, for example, Department of Defense, like where I used to work for, they have very, very, very large computers and like thousands of hundreds of thousands of cores to manipulate data on those machines. Like back then we used to code in what's called OpenMPI, OpenMP, MPI, multi-processor interface. And there's very, very few people in the, that were available to write code for those kind of machines. But something fascinating happened with this whole Hadoop the technology became standardized. And because of that, when there is a lot more skill set that is available right now, the skill set became transferable. Back then, if you know how to code in MPI and MP, there's only few companies in the world that can even employ you. But right now, because this technology has become so prevalent and the technology has become standardized, the skill set can be transferred from one industry to another industry. And there are institutes that are popping up to train your workforce into these technologies. Now, that's the beauty of it. So the entire new industry popped up whose job is just to train folks. Like, for example, you already know how to write SQL queries. The question is now, can you do exactly what you're able to do with SQL instead of from a small database? Now you can should be able to do it on a distributed database. So you take your skills that you already have. Like, for example, somebody who's had years of experience as a SQL developer would now move to Hive or Impala or like, for example, slightly more advanced mind relations needed, like to write Spark code or something along those lines. So you take an existing skill set and slowly teach them how to do it on a larger skill set, on a larger data set as well. Got it. Okay. It's certainly a specialized skill, but because of the standardization and because of how many places where you can go and learn this now, you can sort of take an existing data science team and brush them up and bring them into sort of the new world without having to necessarily yank people out of Stanford and Carnegie Mellon to fill these spots. Okay. And in fact, I graduated only about 10 years ago. Pretty much everything is new. Both my master's and PhD are in computer science with specialization in machine learning. But when I learned distributed computing, none of this technology existed. It's fascinating that like 10 years later, the world is completely a different field. uh, You know, what's, what's interesting to me is I can't imagine, I think you started your PhD in what, 2003 or something? Yes. So unless you're magical, in in which case maybe you're different, like there's no way you could know that so much of the new wave of changes in business would be predicated on those two words, on machine learning. Just out of raw curiosity, a little bit off the beaten path of the interview, was there a hunch in any way or was it an interest that just happened to be a great, you know, fortunate event? Like 
you know, what's your interpretation of that? To be honest, it's right place, right time. Yeah. But yes, I was always fascinated by what is known as AI. Then, like when I first came to US, I pursued professors who worked in this area. So, like I had like very fortunate to be working with uh, one of the best experts, like Professor Jim Keller from University of Missouri, Columbia. He's a very, very well-known figure in fuzzy logic, and that's where I learned computational intelligence. Essentially, it's again, it's, it's a different word for machine learning, but computation machine learning applied for uh, computer vision that was my specialization in my masters okay, okay then i took the same tool so machine learning if you think about it you are a skilled person who knows how to use bunch of tools and over the period of time as you apply the same tools to different domains now you will have a much deeper understanding of what tools work better and so on so yes, yes yes so essentially that's what you are so you are like a skilled person who knows how to use a bunch of tools and those tools are changing obviously very, very they rapidly. are they yeah. are actually so, so, so like for example back then if you want to run a like actually like a random forest you have to write your own code but now there's like the library implemented in like yeah. many 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 libraries out there yep okay cool yeah what an interesting dynamic because i just got back from montreal and we had Yashua Bengio on the program a long time ago. We got a quote from him for this big Montreal piece, which is going to be up on the Huffington Post. And there's a lot of folks who are working on machine learning back in, you know, similar era, right? The early 2000s. Yes. And most of them outright are able to admit the same, where they're able to say, like, this was interesting. We were just kind of doing it. It's great that now this is a big deal, yes. right? Because it's like, who could have known which random computer yes. science field? Yes. But anyway, what a fortunate thing. So looking forward to the future now. So it sounds like, you know, to distill what you're talking about, which is, again, perspective that I think your company would probably have a lot of, the changing dynamics and the changing skill sets within a data science team today. We've got more folks who need to extract features because we're dealing with totally different kinds of data. Yes. We need to have big data engineers who can deal with how much information we have. And we also need folks with experience who are able to stream this stuff because we want the system to be living, breathing, and working at yes. high velocity and pulling in that weather condition, pulling yes. in those brand new purchases, fraud. pulling in every fraud. fraud. Is, like, yeah. It's one of the fantastic applications, right? Especially with the proliferation of devices and online purchasing oh, that yeah. become a big headache. Yep. So the question is like, if you're a vegetarian, you never eat wait a minute something is funny yeah this person never ate at a chick-fil-a before like when are our systems intelligent enough to say that and yep. block the transaction that's cool yeah because fraud is a great example of again something we need to be doing at high velocity because you can't say that purchase looks a little bit weird you know a month later mm -hmm. you can't do that you know we have to make sure someone isn't stealing money here so okay cool so th these are interesting dynamics to understand sort of the shift in the landscape. Looking forward for business, I'm thinking of the other executives who are tuned in contemplating, you know, how are we going to build out our team? What kind of skill sets are we going to need? Big question that comes to my mind that I know other folks who we've had on the show have touched on is where are these people going to come from? In other words, the extracting of features and sort of the big data engineering skills very much in high demand. Yes. There's, you know, a lot of rustles in the breeze of the huge ratio of need versus yes. skill that's yes. going to be in the market. Where do you see, as these folks start to make their way into all kinds of companies, manufacturing is going to need folks like this. Obviously, you know, people who want to do retail, online retail are going to need this. People in the, the finance risk domain like yourselves obviously need this. Where do you see a lot of this talent flooding in from? How are companies accessing this? So right now, it's a challenge. It's very, very hard. If you have one candidate, that person has like six offers and like you oh, have yeah. to fight. Yeah. And it's, it's always a bidding war and things going on like that. So this is definitely not a good dynamic. So the one way the companies can influence is to go serve on the industry advisory boards of the universities and have the conversations with the administrators. Hey, 
this is what our needs are. How can you prepare your students that are coming out? How can you keep them ready so that they'll be ready for this kind of job? So we need more students coming out with the right skill set from the onset. So you see part of the role of enterprise here to be talking with and working with their sort of connected universities and saying, hey, look, you know, here's what we're seeing in the field in terms of the yes. massive demand and yes. high paying roles. Yes. You know, so that's curious because I would think that universities would move very slow on that and maybe not listen as much to enterprise. But it sounds like there is a way to have a say. Has, I imagine Equifax has done some of this. You guys have Georgia Tech here and whatever yes. else. Yes, so Equifax like, is on the advisory board of Georgia Tech. We are also on the advisory board of KSU. I personally am on the industrial advisory board of my alma uh, mater, uh, like University of Missouri, Columbia. And there's another way that typically people do is like we go talk to students, like when I give talks, then like students come and say, hey, this is what I'm interested in. How do I do this? So inspire them very, very early on. And so that way they'll be ready. So that's another one. This is one way we can do that. Another way is basically we take people that are already in the field and we need to transition them. For example, if you're a traditional Java developer, can I train you to start using Spark in Java? So which is not too hard for a person who's already seasoned in Java development. It's not too hard. Similarly, person who's used to writing SQL queries on traditional data sets. Now, Hive and Impala, they're all fairly similar to SQL. It's a little different or even Spark has something called Spark SQL. It's very similar. So you can retrain them. So the companies have to come up with training programs, basically that will retrain some of the workforce because you can't completely rely on newbies that are coming out of school. There are portions of the job that are needed for new entrants will be able to do. But there are certain things where your experience really matters. So for those kind of people, I would take existing workforce and train them. This is really good. And I want to be able to dive a bit into this. What are some examples? And you know, maybe we can talk about your business or other businesses that you see where some of that past experience is important. And maybe we'd prefer to take our SQL fella, bring him up to speed to work in Spark than we would grab somebody out of graduate school. What's an example of kind of the contextual knowledge that we want to keep with an existing employee just from your experience. Yes, yes. So basically, like, let's say, again, like a large corporation, an existing employee understands the flow. Where does the data come from? Who inputs the data? Who owns the data? Then who needs to manipulate the data? Who needs to massage the data? Who needs to make sense out of the data? That is the modeling part. Then finally, what happens to that? So this end-to-end flow, that is more ingrained in the experience of a person rather than a new person because like they already know people. So that is where it really matters because they understand in the larger context of an enterprise how this particular system that you're working on plays a role and who are the right people to involve or like what are the other systems that are likely to be impacted. So this is where your institutional knowledge really helps. Yeah, got it. Okay, institutional knowledge. Okay. Good. Yep, that makes sense. I'm sure the executives tuned in are sort of aware of the particular roles and folks that have so much of that locked in that might just be better to evolve their abilities. This is a pretty interesting problem as well, because not all companies are used to having a wing dedicated to data science skill evolution, right? Like it's like, we we haven't needed this sub department until now. So it would seem as though there's a lot of, I'm in San Francisco where as many coffee shops there are, there's there's even more like places where, you know, people are learning UI or whatever, little institutes and whatever else that are teaching folks different skills. Every co-working space has 
ongoing three-month programs yes. and intensives and whatever. Do you see the proliferation of those being the main way that industries evolve? Or do you see companies that are large enough, almost ubiquitously having an in-house function to evolve these skills? Because it's such a big dynamic, what you're talking about. It is, right? So again, it completely depends on like what the company needs, right? For example, are you all in? If you are all in, my existing whatever system is no longer meaningful. I need to move on to a better system, right? Then it makes sense for to bring in an expert, train the entire workforce for two days, three days or whatever. That's probably a better idea. If executives are not completely convinced, take a small group of people, go train them. For example, like when I think there is a conference called like Global Big Data Conference and they have these two-day intensive workshops. It's like 2,000 bucks. Yeah. In the, you send the employees for a weekend, they'll expose you to different systems, how to configure them, how to use them. Like they'll give you hands-on experience. Those people like who are on the pilot program can go and try out the system in-house, demonstrate that, hey, this works, this meets our needs, then slowly proliferate. So that is a slower process. So it depends on like well, what kind of uh, yeah. appetite do you have. And again, for older companies, it's slightly harder because they already have legacy systems that they have to support, that they have yeah. contracts with all sorts of things. But especially in California, and like all the newer companies, you have the benefit of knowing what is coming up. You have the benefit of directly starting with evolved systems rather than adopting from legacy systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And clearly that is an advantage. And I think that's part of the challenge of enterprise growing into this stuff is if your business blossoms into the use of, of artificial intelligence right off the bat, you kind of already have all these infrastructural elements. Like you said, you know, you have contracts with a provider for this kind of software that you kind of have to, and, and these become more hiccups. So you actually do think that there is value in sending folks to some intensives and that even within a couple days, there's certain skills and fundamentals that actually can be acquired in relatively short order yes. to kind of prove, hey, look, we can develop. Because yes. I think some people would say, oh, well, what's a weekend ever going to do? Is this ever going to be meaningful? It seems like you actually have some faith in, in some of the value. And well, definitely. Again, like a couple of years ago, this was fairly challenging because the fundamental technology itself was not stable. Right? If you think about like in this whole distributed computing, Hadoop, if you think about Hadoop, there was like two systems, right? Like uh, MapReduce is the distributed storage. Then you have distributed computing engine. So unfortunately, people realized the limitations of the distributed computing that Hadoop offers. So people got away and that is where Spark stepped in. Yeah. But even Spark itself, it's not completely evolved. It's changing as well. But relatively, I think it's stabilized right now. So now is the right time to invest. Mm. Back then when I was working at Home Depot, I used to use Mahout. The question is three years later, a lot of algorithms that I used are no longer supported in Mahout. So I need to adapt. So there are two things that are happening. Companies have to dedicate a small amount of time just to move and figure out like if it makes sense, right? Because like these things are moving so fast. Three years ago, what used to be the normal is already outdated. The technology has stabilized a little bit. I think it looks like Spark is probably going to be here for a while. So probably it's a good time to jump on the spark bandwagon. Got it. That's a useful perspective, I'm sure, for the executives tuned in. If there's people who are listening who are going to be running and sort of building data science teams, are there any other kind of lessons to leave them with as we close off? Like things to think about, like, hey, you know, if you're evolving the skills and sort of bringing on people within this domain, here are things you need to bear in mind. Any other little kind of tidbits as food for thought? to leave the executives with? Actually, this is a very interesting problem. People are changing jobs every two years. So like, in fact, even I did that, right? Yeah. So it took me many, many years to completely understand why was it happening? I was not happy. Turns out, from conceiving a problem to actually putting in production is almost a three-year journey. 
a three-year journey. In the enterprise? In the enterprise. Yeah. So the question is, like, first of all, that's number one. Number two is when you bring this large number of people, who runs that data science team? Suppose if all an industry knows is that, hey, I need new sources of revenue, but I do not know where, then bring in a domain expert who's aware of unmet, unarticulated and upcoming needs. But if you already have a crystal clear clarity, hey, I need to improve this recommendation engine and this is how I'm going to make money, then you bring in any person who's good at execution. So who runs the team and does the team have enough work? That's another important thing because a lot of companies have came up with large teams. Nothing interesting came out. I mean, like not many, not many yeah. people. So the question is, do you have enough problems to warrant hiring a highly paid team to your enterprise's payroll? Right? That's another one. Huge. Number three is like, first of all, has your company already transitioned into a centralized data availability? Like, for example, in all your enterprise data is available in a typical, uh, like on HDFS, so anybody can answer it. Anybody can find out and anybody can use it. So that is another one. Your organizational readiness. Is your admin team ready? As in typical, like in data science, the entire spirit of data science is try out new things. But the question is, if I directly let you play on the enterprise system, you might bring down the entire system. I don't want yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah. So the question is, like, you need to have a fairly advanced admin team that will give you, you know, freedom as to try out different things, like maybe something using technologies like containers, like Docker and things like that, where you have control of everything, try out, install different libraries, try out different algorithms and so on. So in other words, you need to have a mature support team, right? Then your data science team came up with a wonderful prototype so what? What next? Do you have a good handoff process that's already out there? So whom do you work with? Do you work with product managers? So that organizational readiness is not trivial. Yeah. Right? And another one is the team composition itself. You need a big data engineers. You need machine learning specialists like and who knows how to model. Then the question is you need a product manager to make sure the team is working on the right projects. They're working on the right amount of time. We don't want them to work on forever. And also then the question is, is somebody there to take the solution that's developed and productionize it and give feedback? So it's a non-trivial exercise. So actually I wrote an article on LinkedIn. I called it Easier Data Science Team Setup for Success which goes each of these questions much deeper. I'd be interested in, in having that and at least referencing it for the interview because I think that you're touching on something that in closing are food for thought that I think executives are going to have to chew on whether they want to or not, which is if we hire all these smart folks, are they in any way going to be able to operate within yes. the enterprise environment? Can we hand off what we find and make it work? Yes. Can we work with the team's experts, for the company's other experts, to get the problems that yes. need to be solved? Yes. Does anybody practice. even know what can be solved with data yes. science or will they have yes. nothing to hand us, right? Yes. So, so these are really critical issues. Definitely food for thought for the folks who are tuned in. I think Raj has a unique perspective here. And clearly, I think a lot of people who are listening want to keep data science folks like yourself happy. So, you know, in terms of finding the dynamics that make a team really function and keep data science people, not just hire them, but keep them. Yes. I think these are, are things to chew on. So hopefully this was helpful for everybody. And Raj, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan, for inviting me.
That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week. 